Dynamite back on a Wednesday night. We have been doing this on Fridays, so I wonder way if we're going to be able to rebuild our audience in one night, if it's going to take some weeks for the audience to find Wednesday night again. We are going against uh, NBA podcasts, NHL podcasts, it's the playoffs, but we're back on Wednesdays. And next week, it's our special podcast where we will be uh well we will be on a road won't we it'll be our road rager edition next week um i mean i'll be right here i don't know what you're talking about but we'll be talking about a show that maybe we could do it outside we could do it on a physical road sure just like in the middle of the street yeah we would probably cause a few road ragers um i think the audio quality quality would be terrible but um it's nice to be back on a wednesday you know like I mean, it was nice to not uh, do shows on Wednesdays, but I definitely don't miss um, sort of these extended marathons on Friday and Saturday. So um, I, I, I welcome back the regularity. Well, regularity we are, in fact, back to. So it is time to dive in to a brand new month at Post Wrestling because by the time most are listening to this, it is July 1st. Mm-hmm. July 1st. Yes, it is. Uh, We have a really exciting July coming up, don't we, John? We do indeed. We have uh, lots of stuff at the Post Wrestling Cafe. And I'm going to first make mention, uh, for those of you listening, uh, hopefully none of you signed up on Tuesday. The worst time of the month to sign up. But now, on, (laughs) on Thursday... Perfect time. Perfect time to sign up and catch our latest Rewind Away uh, with some great feedback so far for those that have heard it. Chronicling the feud between Chris Jericho and Shawn Michaels from 2008. A real in-depth look at all of their key matches that year. The major segments, uh, including the SummerSlam angle with Rebecca Hickenbottom. And we were joined by not just our espresso executive producer, Jake Simpson, but also former WWE writer Brad Corbett, who was on the SmackDown writing staff on the, uh, during this period of time in 2008, 2009, and he joined us to kind of give his behind-the-scenes notes on this feud and observing the work of Jericho and Michaels from a writer's perspective. An incredibly pleasant surprise. And um, I, I thought a great addition to a podcast that I think, honestly, is probably one of our best Rwanda ways, I feel. I really love doing the show in this format. I feel like I was able to gain a whole lot more out of these matches and these stories and just the entire experience of the feud by watching it this way. So uh, I hope you guys, if you had a, had a chance to listen to it, you enjoy it. And you know what, John, for those of you who are not patrons, who are, maybe aren't sold completely on this whole post wrestling cafe, Patreon thing of ours, uh, we're going to give all of you the first half of the show for free on this very feed on Friday. Yes. We're going to put our review portion up uh, for free, and then if you want to hear more, including the interview with Brad Corbett, uh, that is available for all 
Cafe members. Uh, but later on this month, we have next week, we're going to be putting out our monthly Ask Away, which you can post your questions at forum.postwrestling.com. We'll be going through the whole mailbag next week. All subjects are welcome. And then as the month rolls on, we'll be doing Rewind Away episodes tackling the 1992 Royal Rumble. That will be coming out July 13th. And then Black Widow will be reviewed on July 20th that Way and I are going to watch and um, probably take out mortgages on our homes to pay for this thing on Disney+. Plus. Oh, probably be like 30 bucks. And who knows how much it'll be in Canada, but I think it'll be worth it. And you and I will be joined by WH Park, so I think this will be called perhaps an MCU later. Maybe the John Pollock debut on MCU later. Okay, however you want to brand it. And then we'll wrap up the month of July with another Rewind Away on July 27th. Going back to WrestleMania 28 in 2012, this was once out of twice in a lifetime involving John Cena and The Rock in Miami, which we did, in fact, cover live. Yes, we were there. I remember that uh, trip. You know, the show, I don't really remember all that well, to be honest with you, the rest of it, other than the main event, so... Looking forward to this. It's a well. I remember what you said to me that night when we were uh, there in the stadium. You said, "You know what, John? In nine years, I'm going to really digest this show in its proper format. I just can't fully take it in here live." And I said, "You know what? Yeah, let's earmark this for 2021." He said, "Good idea. Nine years is the perfect length from attending a show to reviewing a show." Was that Hell in a Cell as well? Hell in a Cell with Triple H and The Undertaker. That was the well, one of the big matches on the show. And then also this month, uh, patrons will get a post-show after New Japan's card at the Tokyo Dome. And we'll also have coverage of UFC 264, which is McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. Slammiversary, we'll have a post-show for. Money in the Bank. And ladies and gentlemen, for the first time ever, sneaking in right at the end of the month on July 31st, the first I don't know if it'll be the only Bellator post show with John Pollock, Eric Marcotte, and Phil Chertok. Ooh, very exciting. Wow. One of the biggest fights in Bellator history. It's Patricio Pitbull and AJ McKee, and we're making the decision we are going to do our first Bellator post show the final Saturday of July. So a lot of great cafe content up there. $6 gets you all access to those bonus shows and all of the archives, 89 editions of Rewind Away at your fingertips. So there you go. The best time to sign up is now. On the first, we have our very first edition of, uh, well, I, I guess a brand new July podcast in MCU later coming out tomorrow night with me, WH Park, and special guest Rich Fan talking about Loki episode number four, which was absolutely fantastic. So uh, we hope you guys will join us for that. And if you sign up for the whole month of July, we'll be talking about the season finale there are only three episodes left so do join us for that we'll probably do that one live so uh join us for that as well as a uh, rewind of smackdown again live on fridays yes live every friday for all patrons where we will be taking calls including this week so we look forward to hearing from many of you uh coming up on friday night let's go into some news uh and there was a bit of it coming out of nxt i guess the most uh, concerning part was the injury to mercedes martinez this was a pretty vicious looking spot where it was the mixed tag where Zia Lee threw this spinning wheel kick and just caught Martinez flush. And this was, I mean, any knockout you have seen, I mean, you could see all the telltale signs like she was rocked and just goes down and Zia Lee goes for the cover and you can see Mercedes just almost instinctually 
having her shoulder up. And I thought that the referee, Aja Smith, was really on top of things here to just immediately sense the problem. The bell was called. It's something you and I have really hit on. The fact that when something like this occurs, especially a head injury, match is over. And they ended it. And I thought they handled it about as well as they could in a live television setting. But after the fact, um, Fightful's uh, Sean Ross Sapp reported that um, Talon and staff had been told that she was uh, being taken to the hospital to be evaluated. I would imagine way that she's going to have to go through all the concussion protocol. And we obviously hope that it is a uh, a quick recovery for Mercedes Martinez because a, a scary moment on live TV on Tuesday. Yeah, very scary. Um you know, if you're like somebody who watches martial arts, this is about as clean of a knockout. And typically, like if you see something like this in active competition where this something like this is expected, I mean, we like this type of stuff is sometimes celebrated, right? Which kind of like makes me feel weird, honestly, these days about watching like kickboxing or or boxing sure. or or MMA. But in a pro wrestling context, when this is not supposed to happen, two people are there, they're in cooperation to put on an entertainment uh, performance. You know, it's really scary. And, and what's especially scary is, okay, in a pro wrestling context, you don't know what's going to happen. Typically in MMA or at least in a combat sport, something like this happens. The person goes right to the hospital. There's no no questions asked. In wrestling, we're used to just <laughs> shenanigans. Anything goes. It's the Wild West. Thankfully, I feel like the WWE really, like, at this point, they've they've really kind of made a, a, a concerted effort to say, okay, no more fooling around. Something like this happens, we end it. And that was displayed last night, and I'm really grateful for it. because There was no, like, deer-in-the-headlights reactions. It's like, and to a degree, you have some 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 sympathy in these situations. But, like, they acted quick. When they mm-hmm. sensed there was a problem, boom, bell rang. Like, I thought they handled it very well. They did not mm-hmm. put Mercedes Martinez in any additional danger. There wasn't, oh, we're not at the finish yet. God forbid we don't get to a finish on a show. It's like... None of that matters. So I think they deserve um, uh, definitely congratulations for the way they handled it as safely as you can in that scenario. We're talking about a sport or or at least a TV show where they can write, they can come up with an excuse for anything to write away any sort of real life issue. So I don't, I don't, I never buy the excuse that, oh, we have to get this, this finish. Even though there was a title at stake, who cares? Like, even if it was like a, I don't know, loser leaves town retirement stipulation, they've they renege on everything. You can rewrite yourself out of any situation. So it, it's a pride thing, I think, as much as anything. And again, like you go back, one of the most glorified uh, gutting through a, a match scenarios is Paul Levesque. I mean, that is one of the hallmarks of his career. Now, granted, not a head injury, but nonetheless, a very serious debilitating injury that he is continuing and that he continued with for several more minutes with, and that is a ultra celebrated um, feat of strength that Triple H was able to project. And yet when Daniel Bryan had the stinger on raw and it was called off, like he was ready to fight Paul Levesque for that hypocritical call, even though they were completely in the right to protect Brian Danielson from himself. That's where I think a lot of it, it's just pride in the performer to, that's what we do. We always finish the match. No, and it's I'm, like I'm hoping that mentality is very much shifting. Oh, it's the the bullshit macho thing, and it's it's not not just the men, but I'm sure it goes for for the women as well. That I'm really happy to see the industry, you know, be okay to walk away from. And uh, I'm sure it was a really scary and disappointing moment for Zia Lee as well. 
you know, you could tell she was certainly rattled being involved in a situation like that, being put on live TV to react to it. Um, and I'm sure she's taken it probably really hard, you know, backstage. So, um, you know, it's it's a contact sport. Um, it's a contact performance art. And I mean, I I imagine, you know, these things. These issues are going happen. to happen. And it's with yeah. that knowledge of, OK, when they do happen, God forbid, how are we going to react to them? That's the best you can do, because, of course, these these things will happen. That's that's inevitable. Uh, the other notable outcome on Tuesday was Bronson Reed losing the North American title to Isaiah Swerve Scott. And this comes after they had clearly been indicating um, a program with Bronson Reed and Santos Escobar. And with dropping the title to Isaiah Scott, I mean, it's like Great American Bash looked like it was all full for next week. I mean, you're only going to put two and two together here and assume that Bronson Reed, with the recent look he's had on the main roster, um, are his days numbered in NXT. I think that's the only conclusion people are going to come to. That would be the assumption. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, interesting, I guess, that it wasn't Santos Escobar to, to be the one to to take it from him. I would imagine he, he was probably going to beat Santos, you know, maybe just keep the belt a little longer. But ultimately, you know, maybe Swerve was the destination for Bronson to lose to anyway. He is incredibly, well, Hit Row is incredibly hot right now. And um, I mean, I'm excited, actually, you know, maybe this will be a blessing in disguise, uh, certainly for NXT, maybe certainly for them, but maybe for NXT overall, because that is a group that deserves a whole lot of attention right now. And uh, having a title on them might just be the thing. What did you think about the the segments to build up carrying uh, cross with Johnny Gargano, where Gargano and his uh, his his muscle, Austin Theory, like failed at every turn two on one to try and get the upper hand on this monster. I mean, it, it, it they pro- <laughs> it's a little awkward because like you're you're dealing with two heels right now and Johnny Gargano like being put in a position where I'm I feel like he's probably just being a babyface for this particular feud. And therefore, they were trying to dig into like that sort of, you know, great like underdog baby face, never give up type of thing. While at the same time, trying to remain somewhat faithful to this like comedic heel heelish character that he and Austin Theory have, have created. And as a result, maybe it wasn't ultimately all that successful uh, from the sounds of it, because, you know, is this a giant? I thought, I thought just from a here? story perspective, I mean, it, I just thought it was a mess. It's like I you, you can't. Top this guy two on one. I I have no desire to see this singles match. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really disagree. So next week's show has Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly, MSK against Chomp and Thatcher for the tag titles, Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell against Io Shirai and Zoe Stark, who became the number one contenders. In a, I thought a pretty fun opening triple threat that they had, beating mm-hmm. Raquel and Dakota and Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. And then the fourth match for next week is the Million Dollar Championship match between LA Knight and Cameron Grimes. So very stacked Great American Bash that they have next week. Yeah, yeah, it looks like it's a... Uh... Pretty big show. I, and I hope we get the more, um, the the express lane version of Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly, the sub 40 minute version. Mm. I imagine on a TV show, you probably have to. I'm curious. They didn't say anything about like the commercial break gimmick that they usually do for these. Like if, if there's going to be limited commercial breaks, if they're going to have that, because this is one of their specials that they don't have to worry about fans going back and forth. Do they exercise that? limited commercial free 
aspect that they had done in the past. I guess I don't really know if they would have the same incentive this time. I mean, they still do picture in picture regardless, you know? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see just because this is the the first time uh, without one. Uh, Some other news and notes here. So AEW uh, stated on tonight's broadcast that they're going to be running the Now Arena, which is the former Sears Center in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. They've got All Out booked on the Sunday, September 5th, but they're also going to run Dynamite on the Wednesday, Rampage on the Friday, leading into the pay-per-view on Sunday. And I guess that there is part of the... I guess push is for people to make a trip out of this. Do you think that is too, too long of a week for a lot of people when you're looking at trying to hook them for a Wednesday? I can see the Friday Sunday combo with AEW planning stuff on the Saturday, uh, throwing in dynamite. Like that's a, that's a big ask. I would say to run the same building, a 10,000 seat building three times in five nights. Yeah, the jumps are, are might be a little bit more awkward than, say, you know, what we used to have with, like, or at least, like, what WWE has right now with the Friday, Saturday, you know, Sunday, Monday type of uh, schedule, or maybe even Saturday to a Tuesday, like they used to have. Then again, it's like, I mean, it's Chicago, you know, there are a lot of people coming in from out of town, you would presume for this one. Uh, it's a big city, and um, I, I'd be curious to know if, like, any indies run you know some shows around it either on the thursday like it's a perfect slot for 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 some of those promoters looking to get back on their feet you know whether it be the saturday would really be the prime prime time would Um, a starcast make a like i think starcast was a big like that was kind of the glue of those weekends was like all this extra stuff that they had planned around it and i would say like that is that is one thing like throughout this pandemic they have not had the conventions to piggyback off these weekends. Well, if not StarCast, I imagine they would do their own thing, right? Like they did last time. This, this would have been the one I would, I would try it if if I was AEW. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. they could still do it, but you know, you would want to have that information out there with all these tickets going on sale. Kevin in the chat is saying uh, GCW and AEW are both running shows during that week. Uh, another note was uh, from tonight, so. Uh, Since we had talked on Monday, uh, the news had come out that uh, Sanjay Dutt had apparently given his notice and left WWE recently. And then tonight, PW Insider reporting that he was backstage at Dynamite and it's expected that he is going to be taking on a producer role at AEW. Wow. Very interesting. Hmm. So good for Sanjay. Yeah. Uh, Good for Sanjay. Yeah. I mean, um, what, what, what maybe have you heard or what do you know about maybe like what some of his responsibilities might have been for for WWE are you are you very aware of what he might I mean he WWE? he had come in like 2 years ago and he was on like the main roster as a producer and then had gone down to and he was working in NXT up until uh, his exit so i i don't know like what his rationale was but i mean clearly like pivoting over to AEW i mean obviously hmm. saw some incentive cuz it was his call to leave WWE hmm, interesting New Japan has – this is incredible. I was looking at this. Uh, first of all, they've got their two shows coming up over the next two days. They're free shows on New Japan World, um, which includes Friday show that looks very good on paper with Shingo Takagi against Yuya Uemura and Kota Bushi versus Yota Suji. And it's also going to have the never six-man tag title match on top. Uh, no Okada and no Tanahashi on these two shows coming up at Core Q&Hall. Hall. Then I was looking at the schedule and – so the Olympics start on July 23rd. 
They're running the Tokyo Dome July 25th. Um, and then from July 27th to August 27th, one month, they have scheduled 13 dates at Corcoran Hall in that month. Six of which will happen and overlap with the Olympics. This is nuts. Absolutely nuts what they are doing to the market in Tokyo. I can't believe 13 days. It pretty much works out to almost every other day. New Japan is running and Hall. And this is at a time they're doing historic lows in attendance at this venue. It sounds like it's going to be like a Vegas residency, you know? Come to Tokyo. I mean, you know, I don't know what the tourism situation is like, you know, what border control is like in Japan right now. But I would assume maybe, you know, number one, maybe they had no choice. And I don't know, just uh, or or number two, maybe they they were hoping to rely on some of the tourism from people coming, uh, you know, stepping through Tokyo throughout that that period. But um, I I wish them luck. Uh, And then we have just uh, a few things here to uh, wrap up here. Uh, did you get to hear any of uh, Peyton Royce and Billy Kay on yes. Renee, Renee Paquette's podcast? Mm. Um, so one of the big topics that they talked about, uh, and Andrew Thompson did transcribe uh, the answer, was their big issue that they have, even though their their non-competes are coming up in just a couple of weeks because they were part of the April cuts, uh, is the status of their green cards. They said, we're not allowed to work until we get those or until we can find some sponsorship anywhere else. Uh, they said, we're excited but we ha- that we have all this freedom and we have so many ideas, but we have to pump the brakes because we can't do any of it. Um, they're doing a podcast, which they said they're not making any money off of. It's purely just to get our name out there and kind of stay relevant. It's been tough just knowing that we have all these things we want to do, but we can't do it. And said that we've been in this process for four years, which is basically unheard of. Um, and the fact is that they're just dealing with this apparently extremely like difficult process of going through the government of getting getting their green cards. And that's going to stall. I, I, I am not an expert on how all of this works. Like if a company would be able to, you know, speed this through if they were to, to hook up with a certain wrestling company that can speed the process through. But the fact they've been dealing with this for four years while they were in WWE uh, tells me like, this is hardly a process that even with um, the right people that know how to cut down on time, it's not a snap your fingers and just suddenly you get these green cards. It is uh, something you, you know, as a wrestling fan, we don't really think about when we're thinking about, you know, why a, a, a wrestler might stick with a particular company, but um, in this case, um, I, I think, you know, we can all appreciate them being so honest about some of these issues. Uh, and, and it's a major factor of, um, you know, one of the really shitty things about this whole thing that makes it makes it even worse. Um, so I, I really wish them the best. It's really unfortunate that, like, we're not going to immediately see them. It sounds like maybe even at the end of, of these 90 days. So it's, um, you know, I, I, kept, I keep thinking, OK, well, isn't Peyton married to, like, such and such sean spears is a canadian so yeah. like i i you know she maybe should have picked an american to marry but um no but maybe that that's you know even that probably wouldn't have been so smooth and, and so easy i believe like renee herself has kind of talked about um you know visa issues being part of the reason why she was with the wwe for 
uh, you know, the time that she was at. Chelsea so. Green has, she was part of those cuts too. I mean, she's talked about the fact that she needs a visa and a green card as well. Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's something for Canadians or not Americans that you don't always take into consideration. But uh, I found it to be like a very, very open and honest um conversation that they had where i mean they were very open about the fact like these cuts have done a number on these two who i mean people might might not be aware but um jessica mckay uh billy Kay, she has been in the industry since 2007 in australia peyton royce started in 2009 you know this was their big dream was getting to the wwe and it's it's kind of the double whammy of you get cut. And for some, it's like the silver lining of this freedom and all these options. They don't really have that because of this whole green card issue that here they are. They're very much in just career limbo. Um, so it's it's very unfortunate. It seems like it's it's been very rough on them, too. Yeah, you really feel for them if you listen to this. And, you know, beyond that, of course, it's like. It's it's the social aspect of, of it all too, you know, to to, to be full, pulled away from people that you know. It sounds like they, you know, really considered as part of their family. Yes, you could stay in touch, but to not have a reason to go see see each other. Um, see, I'm really bad at that, John. Like, if we didn't <laughs> work together, I you I, wouldn't talk to me. You at would all, have to make the me. effort. Like, I'd be terrible at it. So, um, yeah, it's it's extremely extremely heartbreaking, and it's not it doesn't just go for these two, but for you know anybody who was recently announced as as released and having to make major life changes. So um, the honesty was certainly you know appreciated and refreshing to hear. So I wanted to ask you because of we're coming up in just a few weeks of the ninety days being up for that first cycle of cuts, and I was just going to read you the names and ask you who you're most intrigued by with their next move. Um, Mickey James, we already know, is uh, very much involved with the NWA, but you had Bo Dallas, Chelsea Green, Wesley Blake, Tucker, Kalisto, uh, Andrade, we know, and Mojo Rawley. Of those names where we don't know destinations for, I mean, are there any in that list that you could see that, that you have your eyes kind of focused on, like, what is what is that person's move going to be? Because they are a bit of an unknown. Yeah, you know, the ones that weren't um, already accounted for, I, it sounds to me like Chelsea Green might be the, the biggest prospect. Um, I feel like any company can make use of, you know, um, a, like a notable female wrestler who has good personality, you know, like decent in-ring. Um, I see her ending up, you know, certainly maybe Impact uh, will probably give her a call. Uh, I, I think her marketing savvy is tremendous. Like, she... Like through her podcast, through her social media, like she always, like daily, is getting herself oh. out there. That you social media sometimes for better or worse, but um, yes. Oh, that's right. Uh, with the photo thing, um, I I would certainly oh, just see... like the parties and all that stuff too. I mean, like during COVID, I I I didn't think that was a good look, but I mean, I whatever. Like that's 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 a different story. Um. I'm, yeah, I'm kind disagree. of curious in Mojo Rawley, a guy that was, you know, very highly touted in WWE when he was first signed and did not really reach that potential. Uh, I'm kind of curious what happens with him. Um, a Tucker, I'm even kind of curious with. Kalisto is someone that I think, you know, tremendous talent that I'm I'm certain will uh, is not going to have any problem finding work. But the ones I'm most curious are like your your mojos and tuckers of like, what's the next move here? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I'm really hoping to see is somebody that we're not even talking about right now, like making a major shift and doing a, a completely different 180 with what we've seen them in their WWE incarnation, surprising the entire world and catching fire. Uh, and there's plenty of opportunity out there, I would hope, you know, because there's um, creatively like they have no shackles. They can do whatever they want. And we will see if any of them show up at a Slammiversary, which has now worked this yearly tradition around these no-compete clauses. Uh, that pay-per-view takes place July 17th, so that batch would all be eligible to appear. And then Impact has announced that the Sunday and Monday following Slammiversary, they are opening up Skyway Studios uh, and their TV tapings to fans. They're going to be doing two sessions per day, 3 to 6 and 7 to 10 p.m. on the Sunday and Monday and I guess it'll be interesting at Slammiversary. In theory, they'll have the announcement uh, for Bound for Glory if they will be going elsewhere, leaving leaving Nashville for the first time since the pandemic. So uh, that is what is going on in the world of Impact. All of your news can be found up at postwrestling.com. Lots of great stuff to check out there, including our most recent shows, uh, including the Jericho Shawn Michaels show. So go check all of that great stuff out. And now it is time to get into AEW Dynamite. There are... Their final show at Daly's Place before they go back on the road next week in Miami. And we had a very lively crowd. It's their final show before they go on the trip. But, like, they're already advertising the homecoming, which is, like, only a month away. So they'll be back in a month. They're, you know, this is, uh, it's like that old saying. It's like, it's not goodbye. It's see see you soon. It's, it's very see you soon. See you in a month. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this, you, you could certainly give this uh Jacksonville City a bit of a breather on on AEW. Mm-hmm. They've got they've got just over a month. Chris Jericho comes out, the place is going nuts. He gets a huge reaction and he is on commentary for the duration of the show. And we started things off with the Young Bucks against Eddie Kingston and Penta non-title eliminator match. And we have the debut of the Fu Manchu on Nick Jackson and Matt, who just utter dirtbag. I mean, these two, this was next level. I mean, they have they have taken this to extreme lengths. And one of many great lines Tony Schiavone had on this show was him just yelling, they look like porn stars. And Excalibur says that the Bucks continue to make questionable choices in their careers. I think they look great. I think more and more every single week, they just feel like more complete heels. At this point, I mean, they've made, what, like five bucks, you know, action figures. I imagine they just want to, like, keep creating variations just to kind of make the collectors a bit more interested. But I think it looks great. It, it It's just accompanies the look really well and just makes them, like, dirt bags. I think it's awesome. So the crowd is, like, all into this right from the get-go. Uh, they're behind Eddie. Penta comes off the top with a stomp that Excalibur identifies as landing on the perineum. And the Bucks then get the advantage on Penta. Uh, Penta ends up making this big comeback later with an amazing sequence, ending with a twisting sunset bomb for a huge near fall on Matt that the crowd is chanting, that was three. Matt stops a fear factor. Nick does a headstand on the turnbuckle and gets super kicked upside down. Eddie hits a big suplex and then a backstabber by Penta. This time, it's Matt making the save. Uh, at this point, this match was just flowing. The crowd was insane. 
um, there, Nick grabs Rick Knox and is able to low blow Penta. They hit an assisted fear factor. Eddie comes back from the dead and makes the save. So the good brothers come out. Eddie eats a bunch of super kicks. He finally goes down from them. And then Brandon Cutler gets on the apron, goes to spray Penta, who ducks, and Cutler sprays Matt in the eyes and can't let go. And Jericho say, why is he still spraying him? Then the, the Frankie the Punisher takes out Brandon Cutler. These spots with Frankie Kazarian have become highlights of these matches. The place just goes nuts for Kazarian. The elite hunter. Frankie yes. Cesarian, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's working. And with that, uh, everyone that has run in, it's like they've teased all these ways the Bucks are going to get out of this, but everyone has been taken down, and Penta hits a Tope Con Hero to Nick and the Good Brothers, so they're down, and a Fear Factor and Urican land on Matt Jackson, and they pin him in 1349. Unbelievable opener. This was what? fantastic. What does he call that finisher? The Urican. It's the Urican. I thought it was Shuriken, which is like the that ninja star. This was like the Aja Kong move. Oh, okay. The Urican. Interesting. Yes. Um, the first team to beat the Bucks in nearly a year. They tell yeah, us. Yeah, this is like a real big deal that they, you know, beat the Bucks. And I'm just surprised they're doing the title match so quick. They're doing it next week. Well, I imagine they have uh, bigger opponents for for the Bucks. I mean, this is sort of a uh, you know slap together team. Even though uh, Eddie continues to remind us that Penta is his best friend. Um, but I, you know, you, at this point, I think you could put like any two great wrestlers together and like, we'll eat it up because I mean, it's a combination of like good storytelling, like you, especially with somebody like Eddie Kingston talking for any of these teams, like you can put it, I feel like you can put Eddie Kingston with anybody. Like you put him with like Luchasaurus and like you have Eddie Kingston cut a big promo about dinosaurs. We're going to get into the team. So, um, it's a quick way of heating up challengers for a title match. And uh, I thought it was a really, really fun, really good match. You know, um, well, how do you feel about the, all the all the running stuff? You know, is it is it getting exhausting for you, or does does it still work for you? I have not had the biggest issue with it. I think that it's the way I look at it is that there's there are some matches where the idea is that the Bucks or Kenny Omega are going to squeak their way out. And it's the balance of satisfying your audience, but you're also trying to build up heat. And this was your payoff where you teased all this shit, but they were able to overcome all of it. And you got the win. It was like, here are all the hurdles for the baby faces. There's no way they can clear them all, but they somehow did. And it's like, you got the double pop of not just the bucks losing, but my God, the baby faces overcame all the bullshit. So it's, it's a delicate balancing act. It's, it's going to be frustrating if you overdo it. And I think they're kind of right at that balance point, but this was kind of here was, uh, you know, throw in the audience a bone and the bucks finally get pinned. Didn't bother me in, in this in, instance either. Um, you know, it, when it comes to the main event, I'm curious to to know what you think and maybe what some of our listeners think. But you know, when like New Japan has kind of been you know slave slave to this in in um, I don't know several periods now, where when you're I guess engaging in faction warfare, you kind of expect this sort of stuff. You know, like you expect the teammates to come in at some point, especially if they're heels. The Jurassic Express uh, were in the back. Well, it was Christian and Jungle Boy to start, and Christian is giving his son a pep talk. Uses the uh, the John Cavanaugh line: "You either win or learn." 
and you took Kenny Omega to the brink. You're a future champion. And all of a sudden, we have this statistic that Jungle Boy could be the, become the first AEW wrestler to win 50 matches. And that's what's at stake tonight when he takes on Jack Evans. He's after his 50th win. Luchasaurus walks in. Thanks, Christian, for having Jungle Boy's back. And then the two talk about their ancestors. And Christian is from a uh, lineage of dinosaurs, which was as completely ridiculous as it sounds. Yeah, he says his uh, third uncle might have been part, I don't know, a dinosaur, random dinosaur name. That was cute. You know, it was nice. It was nice that like Christian now kind of has his own stable that he can attach himself to with the Jurassic Express. Uh, not a pairing you would expect, but um, you know the association with Jungle Boy, I think, really works. Like the, <laughs> it's funny just to kind of like think the about Jungle cage. Boy. <laughs> dinosaur cage. It's funny to think about Jungle Boy because, like, on the surface, he is he is a Jungle Boy. But the way they push him, he is just like, he's just a young upstart wrestler, right? If anything, they push him more as Luke Perry's son than they do this, like, boy who was raised by wolves, like, you know, raised by dinosaurs. It really is just a look in the song at this point. Whereas Luchasaurus is full gimmick, you know, like, he's still, he's still that. Tony Schiavone is with the men of the year, and Ethan Page yells at the fans for all the boos. And he is going to exterminate Darby Allen. He goes over all the attacks on Darby, including on the Indies, breaking his elbow and busting his head. And says that the coffin match will cripple Darby mentally. The crowd here clearly had some problem because they were chanting, we can't hear you. But I heard him fine. So you know what, Jacksonville? Tough. Yeah. And, and um, it was really disappointing because like they started chanting, what? And, you know, if I was there live, like, I don't really blame them, like, you know, if they can't hear. But, man, I, w- I hope that they know that they were ruining what was a great promo here from Ethan Page. I thought Page was a total pro here. It's yes. like he didn't get rattled. He just went through. It's like sometimes you would think, God, can they not hear me at home? Is this a disaster? But he just went like to the viewer at home. They had no idea until you could hear those audible chants from the crowd. It, it, I mean, he just cut his promo. So, I mean, he did not let it phase him. Well, for me, yeah, it was that. That was the big takeaway was to see how Ethan Page would react to this, knowing that, hmm, like you could tell he was kind of a, a little caught by it upon hearing it. He's in the zone. He's like, you know, delivering these lines. Then he's like, you know, faced with the realization, okay, maybe they can't hear me. But he stayed in character, totally unfazed by it, a complete professional. He says every time Darby goes for a coffin drop, he's going to end up thinking of Ethan Page and he's going to put him in a coffin and shut the door on Darby's confidence forever. So Sting comes out, wheeling out a coffin, which has Darby inside of it. They attack, includes a scorpion death drop to Sky as Page is choking Ethan and gouges his eyes. Page is able to get away to the floor and Page says the match next week is off. And you are going to have to agree not to touch me the week prior. And maybe we can face at Fighter Fest, which is the two-night deal on July 14th and 21st. So it just seems like they have overbooked next week's show. And this is going to get moved to one of those two Fighter Fest dates, which I don't have a big problem with. I think you were kind of between a tag title match, a strap match. Next week's show did not need a coffin match on top of it. So, I mean... 
why cram all this into next week and move this to uh, either in two or three weeks from now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it felt like a, a pretty clear, like, you know, wanting to just spread the, the wealth of matches that they have for all of these big shows. Uh, not a big problem to have unless you are one of those people who are going to the show next week who were looking forward to this. Um, but nonetheless, I think for storytelling purposes, I mean, using another week or two to tell this story is not going to be a bad thing. And uh, giving it maybe the spotlight that it deserves, the time that it deserves on a show that's less crowded will ultimately help it. Then we go to a shot of Jericho with his brand new list of Jericho book. And he's just holding it up. Are you aware of how he's self-publishing this book? Not really. What does so, that entail? What does that mean? So this this book, it's his record book of all of his matches that from the beginning of his career in October of 1990, right up until the 30th anniversary match he did last October. And so he's been keeping this record book and he's ended up like putting the whole thing together with like lists and other commentaries, stories behind it. And he went to a publisher who said, it's like, it's too, it's too narrow an audience. It's just not going to be, I guess it's not going to have a, like a wide, uh, reception they don't know wrestling fans well that's like that man. was jericho's ex explanation it's like yeah this is not going to hit every single audience out there but it will for wrestling fans and again i'm not an expert in the book industry but when jericho puts out a book my god this dude pounds the pavement promoting his stuff and at the very least this thing's gonna get plugged on tnt every single week you're telling me that there's books you're greenlighting that are exceeding this level of promotion? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sure these these guys are going to make a ton more by eliminating the middleman. But I did look at the at the site. Like to order this book, if you're in Canada, it's like 55 bucks. So it's I mean, there's significant added costs. I think when you're eliminating a publisher, for instance, like this is not on Amazon or anything. Oh, it's not. So uh, if you're independent, not, as of the last time I checked, you have to order it off the website. Okay, interesting. Hmm. But anyway, so he did this deal where he had Excalibur pick a number of whatever match number. So Excalibur picked 539. And what was the match? It was on John Pollock's 12th birthday. March 9th, 1996. The <laughs> big ass extreme bash where he wrestled Taz that Jericho gave four and a half stars to, which is remarkable because that was a six minute match that ended with a DQ. So I do not know if that was in fact a four and a half star match. Well, these are all his own star ratings. So I, I'd be curious to basically just see what he ranks at his own matches. Um, well, I haven't seen it, so I can't really tell you. Well, there you go. Maybe in the next week you can watch the, the big ass extreme bash. Mm. It, I, I imagine it would be on the network. Matt Hardy is uh, doing a promo. He is sending Jack Evans out to hurt Jungle Boy and does not care if he wins or loses. It's a hell of a motivational speech. So Jericho says that Jungle Boy could become the Floyd Mayweather of AEW going 50-0, which is not the story. He is not 50-0. He is going for his 50th win. Uh, but Jericho repeated this at the end and then realized, wait a minute, this guy just lost on Saturday and corrected himself that he is not 50 and 0. No, so not exactly the Floyd Mayweather, but 50 wins nonetheless. Um, 
They went through a break here. Um, I, what I liked about this match was that you could see Jungle Boy wrestling with a bit more of, a, I would say, a, like a confidence in him. Like this idea that he's come off this match where he came very close to beating the champion. And this is a bit of a more serious Jungle Boy. Um, this is like Jungle Young Adult. And he ends up... Jungle uh, Teen. <laughs> Evans hits the spider German, but Jungle Boy lands on his feet and pulls off Evans into the snare trap, and the place exploded for the submission. Uh, just a good, like, rehab win for Jungle Boy, and I like the fact they put him right back onto TV instead of taking him off for several weeks. It's, you had this big match on Saturday, and boom, he's right back. You should not forget about Jungle Boy, who is still advancing after this match on Saturday. Yeah, so often we've seen, you know, whether it be a TNT championship match or like, you know, um, a big AEW title defense against somebody who's kind of up and coming from the card. They get that big moment where they challenge and they, you know, get a great near fall. Uh, but ultimately, they're completely forgotten about. This is especially the case when it comes to the women's division in AEW. Uh, so to me, the follow up was incredibly important to, to be able to see whether or not they truly have future plans or immediate plans, I, I should say, for Jungle Boy. And at least this week, it seems like they do, they do because um, this was, I think Jack Evans was like the perfect opponent for this type of role to showcase Jungle Boy. Uh, that snare trap is a move that is uh, incredibly over at this point. And, you know, it keeps that momentum up and prevents him from just fading back into the background. And 50 wins. 50 wins. Listen, I mean, it is one thing that, I mean, it gave a purpose to this match mm -hmm. that there was something this guy was fighting for. Like, I... Imagine that every single viewer prior to tonight had no idea how many wins he had, but they really hit you over the head for the first half hour of this show of, hey, he's going for his 50th win. It's like there's a zero at the end of this. It's important. And he's the first one. He's apparently mm -hmm. the first one. The Hardy family office comes out and everyone's attacking. Christian goes after Matt Hardy. He chokes Matt with his jacket. And then Evans comes in, which allows Matt Hardy to escape as we continue the build towards the inevitable showdown between Christian and Matt Hardy. Can't say this one has grabbed me. No, I can't say much what the Hardy family office has. I I, I think they're the they might be the worst stable in AEW. But um You know, I said that about the Dark Order once. MJF cut a promo. He outsmarted Chris Jericho by, by becoming the fox in the hen house. Then he out-wrestled Jericho and outclassed him on the mic. Jericho has turned this promotion to his version of Looney Tunes after using the bubbly attack on them, destroying their limo. But it's Jericho who's the joke. You used to be so cool. And how low are you going to stoop, Chris? And he says that next week he will announce his stipulations to give Jericho one final match with him and then once he beats Jericho, he is to leave MJF alone for good. And even snuck in an Ed Whalen line here in the meantime and in between time. Then shifts his focus to Sammy Guevara tonight and says that after tonight, everyone will be saying Sammy is the future because MJF is the now. And you can go on your vlog to tell everyone I'm better. And Jericho got the reaction here saying that short of running him over with a Mack truck, he will accept the stipulations that are laid out next week. But tonight, MJF has to beat the Spanish God. So we are obviously building up towards MJF Jericho. Do you think that that one, do they hold off on that all the way until All Out? Or is it, Ooh. maybe they do this at Rampage on the first week? Or there's a lot coming up in this, this summer. I just, 
if they're outlining this next week, you remember they did this with Cody, where MJF came up with all the obstacles for Cody, that you could put Jericho through a gauntlet on TV, and then you get to All Out. Yeah, uh, All Out is like two months away, and in pro wrestling, that is a lot of TV to have to fill to keep something hot, you know? I mean, they're already, you know, they pretty much already said Page versus Omega at this point. Um, but, you know, with that story, you could tell, like, they're going through several, maybe, curves before really trying to get there. With MJF and Jericho, I mean, that feels like it's right around the block. So that that Rampage suggestion is, is not the worst one. Um, I think it's actually a pretty good one. But um, nonetheless, I do imagine this feud will kind of continue uh, in some form all the way up to All, all Out. The next few months are very important for the company. You've you're you're going back on the road. You're doing all these themed shows. Rampage is a major priority that starts in August, and then you're right into the build up for All Out. And September has three of the biggest dynamites they've ever done with Newark, Arthur Ashe Stadium, and Rochester. Like the Blue Cross Arena is a huge venue. Like these are very big months for AEW coming up. Certainly, yeah. Well, they have a lot of people. And I think at least in some of those markets, it's it's the freshness of the company itself, you know, maybe being the hook and, and coming out of a pandemic being the hook as well. Alex Abrahantis interviewed Andrade, who was interrupted for his big announcement by Matt something, not to be confused with Jake something. And this was subtitled and we went back and forth between Spanish and English. And he suggests Andrade versus Matt something in Miami. The city of Latinos and the city of Scarface. Dude, this guy is poised for a giant babyface reaction next week. I think so. I mean, against Matt Seidel, uh, he's going yeah. to get cheered. Yeah, no doubt. So, I, and I don't think that matters. I think that they, they should want that. You know, you want Andrade to feel like the biggest star in the world on that particular, you know, debut match. Um did you find it no. interesting that, that Vicky was not a part of this? That's what I was going to say here. No Vicky accompanied by Andrade. So I mean, I don't think it'd be the worst idea if they quietly move Andrade. Um, you know, this, like we talked about it on the show. And I think that you've got just to me a golden alliance with him and Conan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of options for him. Um, not to sell Vicky short, but like she's doing like comedy stuff. And I, don't think it fits with, with Andrade and they seem to be on two different planes on this show. Like they weren't even, they weren't paired together. Yeah. Yeah. I have to imagine maybe they realized that. Cause I mean, Vicky was, you know, either their excuses that Vicky was preparing for the match and wasn't available for this, but, or, or that um, maybe they've broken up that thing. And um, I, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. I also though, didn't think this was all that great either. Like, I don't think these backstage interviews are the best way to showcase Andrade. I would shoot vignettes with him at some sort of outside setting doing something as he's talking. You know, they're doing subtitles anyway, so you know these are pre-taped, so they don't have to be live anyway. Um, And I certainly wouldn't be afraid of having him communicate more of his message in Spanish, throwing in some key lines in English, because I think his personality comes across far bigger when speaking in his native tongue. Um, And yeah. So we'll see. Shivani brought out Kenny Omega, who came out alone, no Don Callis. And Kenny Omega uh, got into his uh, 2004 Triple H idolizing Lemmy phase. And I mm-hmm. guess the elite got um, 
like a starter barber kit. Man, like, I guess so. Either they grow facial hair, like, pretty fast, all of them, or it, like, this is some really great special effects or something. Yeah, but then they, they certainly reach into some sort of dye. Like, it, they had the whole, almost had the Hulk Hogan beard dye. Like, it was so dark. Kenny says he has beaten the toughest. He's beaten the best flyer, the best merch seller, the best athlete, not named Kenny Omega, and the best up-and-comer. There's no one left. I'm going to take some time off. And then Edge's music hit. He said that he has belts in other promotions, so you can go see him elsewhere. But then the Dark Order stop him. They come out. Evil Uno says, we think differently. And Omega laughs this off and says, what, am I going to face Alan Angels? And he says, none of you guys are ranked. And the crowd starts chanting cowboy shit. And Evil Uno agrees. We don't have enough singles wins, but we know someone who does. And I just love how they just let the audience realize what they were teasing. The whole crowd is behind it. And they're just dangling it for, the, for everyone at home to just scream this guy's name. And Omega says, I think I know who you're talking about, and you probably shouldn't speak on his behalf because that guy doesn't have the guts and doesn't even think he has the right to call himself champion, and he exits. I think that this program is going to be so great. It has been there in the background this whole time. They've always just given you enough to remember it, and now they're ready to pull the trigger. And my God, are they making you want it so badly? I I thought this and the follow-up backstage, tremendous. I thought this was really good. Um, and clearly, by the pace of the, the I guess, um, teasing today, they're going a, a very slow build for it. And I think they have to because of the two months of TV that they have to use to fill it. But, I, it, you know, it's... the. I, I have a, a lot of confidence that these will be two months that'll be used to benefit the feud rather than, you know, be, be used as a detriment. Um, I have confidence that they will be able to peak for September because um, there's so many storyline elements to work into this. You know, they have not, you know, right now it's just simply the fact that, okay, Hangman is the number one contender and, you know, he might not have maybe the confidence required but nonetheless, um, he has a group of friends who are there to try to convince him otherwise. They're not even touching on the fact that these two are tag team partners. So you have all that to get into, you know, maybe some history with them in, 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 as part of the elite. Um, and the fact Losing that, it all out the first yes, year. The fact that Paige, you know, was unsuccessful in the same city two years ago. Um, yeah, so many different storylines to, to pick out that I, I'm really looking forward to. Maybe he's just going to have a confessional one week where he says that he hit rock bottom after losing that match to Jericho and he did some nefarious cowboy shit. I went to the restaurant and I stole the belt from Jericho when he left it. In. <laughs> <laughs> I stole it. Oh, man. Yeah, without getting cheered. I threw, it out, I threw it out the window on the side of the road and they found it. <laughs> yeah, interesting. It would be, you know, that's always a dangling thread somebody can... Uh, no, do not do that. I'm not being serious. Do not do <laughs> so that. Who is, who is the... Mis- like, it'd be like the... the Who drove the Humvee, you know? Um, <laughs> who stole the AEW championship from Chris Jericho? Yes. 
Brian Pillman Jr. plugged his match with Miro. He talked about not having faith growing up, not having parents, and Griff Garrison is like a brother to him, and Miro made it personal, putting his hands on Griff. You are not God's favorite champion. You're just a big bully. I thought they were going when he like held the B, and then boom, you're just a big Bulgarian bitch. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, he deli- I seriously was all set. I was like, man, he teased the bitch, but he didn't go there. And then he hit me with it. Sucker punched me right, right between you. the eyes. Well, there's no Jade Cargill on this show, so I think uh, we know who who grabbed the bitch card on this uh, particular episode. God, but, that I, alliteration, I love it. I, you know, the he sounded great. He sounded great on Saturday. He sounded great tonight. I thought a really quality promo from Brian Pillman here sounded so incredibly natural. Uh, great delivery, and you know what? Like injected his own real story into it as well. I thought it was a tremendous retort to like um, Miro's uh, religious promo. And it was so good that I was totally cool with him taking the bitch card tonight. He used it well. You got to earn the bitch. Mm-hmm. Yes. Miro, Brian Pillman Jr. for the TNT Championship. Miro has got a new theme. What was your initial reaction? You know, it's like more of an orchestral feel and um, anything that's not, you know, generic power chords or like Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg rapping over something like Downstate, I think is a positive. It's different from, I think, the type of Miro, you know, Rusev tracks that we've heard in the past works for him. Miro is dominating him. They go through the break and then Pillman snaps his neck on the top rope and hits Jericho's springboard dropkick that Jericho immediately identifies Flying clothesline through the ropes to the floor, and then a springboard clothesline only gets a one count on Miro, but a lot of fire exhibited by Pillman. He hits a pair of super kicks after faking out Miro, but then goes for a third, and Miro has scouted it, blocks, head kick, and then we get the stomp, and game over, goes to his back, and Pillman, he's about to tap, but instead he just goes out at 736. Big match for Brian Pillman Jr. I mean, arguably, they were saying on commentary, his biggest in his career. And I thought the kid was fantastic. This was a great showcase for him. AEW will like often make these sort of, I would say, call them mismatches, where you don't expect the challenger to win anyway. But the fact that they're booked to put up a strong fight and you know giving a strong, compelling performance while doing it, it ends up elevating them anyway. Um, and I thought that was certainly the case with Brian Pillman Jr. here. You made the challenger look strong, and you made the champion look strong. So everybody wins coming out of a scenario and a match like this. You see Miro in this situation. Man, this to me is like a fully realized Rusev. This is this is like, you know, final form Rusev. And you just can't understand how Vince dropped the ball on this guy. You know, he should be Vince's ideal wet dream of a wrestler. Big, like monstrous, like believable, convincing in the ring, can promo. You know, how did you get to the point where you'd release him after not using him for months after the crowd was demanding it? I don't understand. Uh, well, he's he's doing very well in this, this TNT championship role. And I thought this did, you know, this was like a lesser version of what we got with Omega and Jungle Boy on Saturday. But it was like, uh, you know, a nice match for Brian Pillman Jr. to have and... You know, I've, I think that he is he has shown a lot when he's been put into these situations, whether they be uh, the tag that they did with the Bucks or or in this scenario, too. And just as important, I think, was giving him some promo time last week and this week. I think that's his biggest strength. 
You know, in ring, I think he's good. You know what I like about him in ring is like his his comebacks are so old school. Like really, I think it might be the hair, but like his his comebacks and his like motioning to the crowd really does feel like it's. I mean, it feels like it's his dad from like the early nineties. You know, like and I think like it's so old school that he, it sets him apart from everybody else in AEW. Maybe Brian Pillman Jr. was studying the Shawn Michaels Chris Jericho feud uh, on his on his. Uh on his iPad and he brought Julia Hart over and said, Hey, look at this. This was going on when you were six years old. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of feuds that we can cover that happened before she was born. Alex Marvez is in the back with the dark order and hangman page storms in and he's pissed at what they did out there with Kenny Omega. Stu Grayson says, yeah, but you didn't stop us. And Colt Cabana pipes in. He says, we don't think you're scared of Kenny Omega, but you're scared of failure. And they repeat how Paige has been the one to motivate all of them in their respective big matches. And we believe in you, Hangman. And they walk out one by one. And Alex Reynolds says, this is your life. And they leave Paige alone with his drink to contemplate what exactly is my life. Hmm. Interesting. I think this is going to be really, really strong. I'm curious. I, I hopes for this. I do too. I mean, it, it, you should because it's going to be the main program, you know, for what should be like the, their biggest show. Um, and they're using it to like tell seemingly some sort of, you know, babyface insecurity story with Paige. Uh, I really hope they dive into like maybe the failure of two years ago against Jericho and yeah, I'm. I'm really curious to see how they tell it. It's. It's a might be a different story from what we're used to in pro wrestling. Taz is with Hook and Powerhouse Hobbs with their breaking news. There's no Starks and no Brian Cage this week. He says their relationship has been rough and toxic for us. And then we got Hook saying, "I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this." <laughs> This hooker Dominic. This was. <laughs> this There's was, uh, a feud I want to see in t- like five years. That's that's the long term play, I think. Yeah. So it's going to be Brian Cage defending the FTW title against the now medically cleared Ricky Starks on July 14th in Austin, Texas, uh, for the first week of Fighter Fest. Glad to hear Starks is uh, coming back. Yeah. Um, very good news for him. Mm-hmm. So that is the next chapter of the Team Taz feud. Britt Baker and Rebel against Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero. We had Baker cheap shot Vicky before the bell. And I just found this to be like the audience totally took to Britt Baker like a superstar and mm-hmm. reacting to her like a baby face. The way this match was kind of laid out was in the early parts, like you've got Baker doing like the total... Eva Marie spot. She's going to the floor. She wants Rebel to do all the heavy lifting. She doesn't want to get in there. She's playing the coward. Uh, Nyla is just beating up on Rebel and then would tag Vicky in. And as we go to the break, she pulls out a table to set up on the floor, which would come into play later. Then Baker gets in and is fighting with Rose. She avoids a beast bomb, super kicks her, puts the glove on, and then gets hit with a choke slam. Rebel comes in and makes the save after a flying knee from Nyla Rose. And then Vicky is putting Britt Baker into place as Nyla climbs to the top. Baker kicks Vicky into the corner, knocking Nyla down. 
and Baker applies the lock jaw. So Vicky screams her lungs out and submits in 656. And that sets up our big post-match angle where Baker is attacked. They go to the edge of the apron and Nyla powerbombs Britt Baker off the apron through the table. I really liked, I mean, I liked the finish, um, like the visual of, of Baker making Vicky tap, I thought was like really effective in, again, pushing her as a bigger baby face. Um, the power bomb off of the apron through the table looked fantastic. Um, so all of that was effective. Um, I don't completely disagree with what you had to say about maybe some of the awkwardness, but that's, I think that's them wanting to remain consistent with the character, you know, like all she, she is still like at her heart, you know, like, like a real asshole. And, and that's not just going to change, you know, overnight. Right. Meanwhile, um, she has to wrestle the match to make you feel sympathy for her um, against Nyla Rose. Um, but in the end, it honestly, they can do whatever they want. These crowds are going to cheer her because she's just so tremendously entertaining. And wait till we get to Pittsburgh for those shows. Well, that's it. I mean, she's going to be next level at those shows in Pittsburgh. And I don't think it's the worst thing that you can have a champion that can work with baby faces and heels. And I mean, that's a constant complaint when we see someone turn and all of a sudden everything that's informed that character is thrown out the window and all of a sudden they're just shaking hands and they're complete opposite of what they were two weeks ago. Um, so I, I just think that they're at a point right now where it's this difficult balancing act of Baker just kind of breaking through to this crowd that, that loves her and, it's been this heel persona that's the reason she has broken through. I, I feel like, you know, some of the maybe finessing requires them to find ways to give her that same heel edge while making you want to cheer for them. Like, you know, a heel man, I'm about to bring up Rio Ripley and I don't think I don't think that's a great example, but um like let's say Eddie Guerrero, you know, like cheating to win a match. You want to cheer for a guy who does that because it's either clever, they're doing it kind of with the audience on his side. Whereas I felt like Britt Baker jumping off the apron and allowing Reba to get beaten up. To me, that that was more cowardice and not necessarily something that, you know, um, uh, that that you would even you that makes you want to cheer for this person anymore. Next week, they're in Miami and this is our lineup for Road Rager. The Young Bucks defend the tag titles against Eddie Kingston and Penta. Strap match between Cody Rhodes and QT Marshall. Andrade El Idolo versus Matt Seidel. A Jericho MJF face-to-face standoff. A first for AEW. They're doing a mixed tag with the Blade and the Bunny against Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander. But the Mm -hmm. main event, in my opinion. We've got... Wardlow and FTR with Tully Blanchard taking on Jake Hager, Santana and Ortiz with Conan. Conan will be there. He's back. I hope he gets to talk. We'll see. I don't know if they'll uh, have time for for talking. This is a loaded show next week. A lot of big stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I mean, Bucks, it's- Kingston and Penta match, that, that's got to be 20. Yeah, I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting to see the rating for today. But I mean, I feel like next week is their big push to try to get that audience back. You know, that's left them for the for the past month. Yeah. Do you put? Uh, do you go the traditional route? The tag title match is is your main event on the show because 
They've also had a lot of success putting the Bucks on first on these shows, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like the focus will be the rating. So whatever I think they, they could do to, like, you know, capitalize on that. Yeah. Um, they They know better than me. I feel they end with the tag titles. I think that will be the big match that's built to throughout the two hours. Uh, we will see. Uh, we got a brief promo from Hager, Santana, and Ortiz. Hager just screams now. That's the thing. And FTR and Wardlow are going to get their ass whooped. Wardlow fought like a man, but then had that bitch, Sean Spears, jump into the cage. He screams about MJF punching Dean Malenko. And then Santana tells FTR to bring all the fight they have. Because we'll have our dog to counter Tully the Snake. And that set up Tony Schiavone to scream, Their dog in their corner will be Conan! Oh, man. Well, their dog. dog. Their yeah. dog, yes. Hey, dog. Yeah. Uh, Santana sounded great. I mean, he's been on a different level lately on the microphone, and I'm glad he continues to get those spot these spotlights. And I think we... I kind of feel like uh, giving credit to Ortiz for like I think he's Ortiz. I think is really good too, but he's purposely he reacts like, very well. If you he, just pay attention to him reacting mm-hmm. to what the partners are saying, he's very good. He's great. I think he's also like almost purposely laying low to let Santana get that spotlight right now. You know, like he can all like you can if you're in a stable. I could I could see everybody wanting to get their time right to get on the microphone, but Ortiz like almost. Hasn't we haven't really heard from him at all, like too much, other than that one liner. Um, and you know what? Like either way, he's still very likable. So, but I, I'm glad Santana's getting all this time. The main event: MJF against Sammy Guevara, 27 year old Guevara, 25 year old MJF. Mm-hmm. How old hey, was was MJF during the Jericho Shawn Michaels feud? <laughs> he would have been. Um... Gosh, well, you're years. going back 13 years. It was probably like 14. He's 25 right now. No, he's 27. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I was looking at Guevara's age. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he would have been 12. Yeah, crazy. Uh, so did you catch MJF's promo for the live crowd that aired on Fight? No, I didn't. Today? So, yeah, this is during the commercial break, and they they tweeted it out. And he just addresses the crowd as you disgusting, fat, white, trash, pieces of shit. All the boys in the back are excited to have crowds back. Me, I already missed the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great promo. So the match begins, and MJF immediately goes to the floor. They start off. uh, Actually, there was a leapfrog that they kind of messed up here, where it looked like MJF didn't get high enough, and Sammy Guevara just, like, ran right into his, like, crotch. Landed on his feet, recovered quick. It was fine. They went into all these pin attempts with backslides, inside cradles, and they have a stalemate, and the crowd's uh, giving them a standing ovation for this. And then... We get Sammy Guevara, who is just tremendous here. Double springboard cutter. We go through the break. MJF takes over and gets into the face of these fans on the floor. There was this one dude who was just losing his mind. And MJF just stood there, like, looking at this guy of what what has life dealt you that has got you to this moment in front of me. Guevara stops him with a 
as named by Jericho, one man Spanish god fly off the, the middle Spanish, rope. Spanish god fly. Yes. yes, dude. Jericho was like Joey Styles here. He named the Cuban destroyer mm, for Guevara yes. as well, which he did a springboard into. MJF then introduces a chair and it gets drop kicked into his face, sending MJF over the guardrail. And Sammy Guevara climbs to the top and he launches himself over the barricade with this somersault dive that looked so incredible. The angle they got from the perspective of the crowd, this should be on every highlight reel. Like Sammy Guevara just launches himself like out of a cannon into the crowd. And this, there was a very narrow aisleway with fans. They, they, these were not plants that were just around here. And he hit. The very, very narrow aisle that he had to land this. This looked unbelievable. It was insane. You know, we saw Ricochet do a tremendous dive from a similar distance on Monday. And, you know, we were speculating, oh, okay, maybe there was a crash pad there, maybe not. There was nothing left to mystery here. There was no room for error for this guy diving into a full audience with a beautiful flip onto another human body in the middle of an aisle packed with people. And it looked great. So MJF catches Guevara on the top turnbuckle, crotches him, and hits a tombstone off the second turnbuckle. Only gets a two count, and MJF is holding his knee in pain from the tombstone. The heat seeker is stopped. Sammy hits the GTH, but in hooking the leg, MJF's foot gets onto the rope to break the count. MJF is then begging off as Sammy climbs to the top, hits the 630 anyway, and still MJF kicks out. Crowd's going ballistic. Sean Spears comes out, and this is where Jericho gets up from the announcer's area to go after him and is jumped by Wardlow, who drops Jericho's ribs on the barricade and tosses him off the stage. Spears nails Sammy with a chair shot, which Bryce Remsburg misses, allowing MJF to climb on top, pinning him in 20 minutes and 5 seconds. What a match. I mean, um, I imagine many people, myself included, might be disappointed in the style of finish. But I think the story, ultimately, is when you're talking about TV, the story is what matters most. And it's a finish here that protects Sammy while giving MJF the heel victory. Um, and I don't have that much of an issue with it. But let's talk about the match itself. It, to me, like, far exceeded my expectations. You know, anytime you have one of these sort of, like... <laughs> Um, AEW originals battling each other in the main event. It's going to feel special. This one somehow exceeded even that level um, where the wrestling from the get-go, they, I think, took a lot of people off guard because it was so technical and it was so good. To me, like, MJF has, has been showing that, like, he might be as good in ring as he is on the mic. He's extremely underrated. I think his promos are so great that it it somehow people don't look at like he has very rare singles matches. I mean, they don't happen a whole lot with him, but go look at some of like the big matches where he's had to deliver and has like with Cody, with Jericho in this instance, um, you know, he has had some really spectacular, the match he had with jungle boy that time. Um, you know, he's had some really great singles matches and I, I, I somewhat equate him to, to Chael Sonnen as well, where at his peak, it was like this guy was such a promo that people did not give this guy the credit as a tremendous fighter on, on top of it. Um, I, I thought both men just had a spectacular performance tonight. And 
I just love the the fact that the announcers really pushed like these are the building blocks of this company, and this is something every promotion you need to have like this this age group of stars that are on the rise. It just it makes your whole future look so bright. And putting them in the main event slot was totally the right call. Um, I, I thought this was a really excellent addition of Dynamite with the the bookended. Um, the tag title or the non-title match. And then this, I thought they were two spectacular TV matches, but for Guevara and MJF, this was a very important match for their careers. Mm-hmm. And I think the added element of this type of crowd being there who were hotter than last week, um, maybe as hot as they were for like, you know, a pay-per-view, it really made almost every match, you know, feel that much more special, especially when you're talking about this sort of main event where I love the fact that they pointed out everybody by the end was standing watching this. Um, it, you know, it was a great way to go out of Daly's place, at least for this month. And with a couple minutes left, they threw to a video um, with the unlikely candidates uh, going through all of the, the progression of the Daly's place era starting with that first week where it's completely barren and you've got Cody and the elite in the ring just pretty much reacting to my god what it was almost like this theme of what the hell are we going to do like this is so out of our comfort zone and the video it's a lot of John Huber in the video uh including some from um the the, the episode right after his passing that his- week his entire, like it puts into perspective, his entire AEW run pretty much took place there. Not pretty Inclu- much. All of it did. Didn't he, he debuted? Debut? He debuted after it was going to be in that Rochester show that got canceled. Right. Okay. Yeah. I guess I, in my mind, like they had an empty arena show outside of Daly's Place. But no, you're right. Yeah. Like it his was whole AEW career was here during the pandemic. Daly's Place. That's amazing. And that really seemed like forever ago. Um, but, you know, I. I was not expecting a video like this, you know, like typically I just, oh, okay, it's like, goodbye, everybody. See you next week for WWE Dynamite. But like, we'll talk about that later. Um, It's a mistake, everybody. Like, you know, whatever. Like, let's not crucify the guy over it. Anyway, I was not expecting a video like this. They, um, they didn't have to, but the fact that they did it, I thought was a great, like, really, really smart. And, and I think it was them being able to take advantage of you know, any any sort of momentous occasion to create this sentimental moment that ultimately builds brand loyalty. Yes. So it was really good. I thought it was an excellent, excellent video. And it just builds. And then the video climaxes with Double or Nothing where the fans are back. Mm-hmm. Such a well-done edited video. And then it ended with the live crowd in Jacksonville as they went off the air. I just thought this was such a cool way to end the show. So non-traditional because when are you ever going to have these circumstances where we ended up having to be in this place for a year and a half and now we're going back out on the road for a couple weeks and then we're coming back but um it was just such a great way to end the show i thought like end on a happy note what a concept it's in the end we're talking about marketing and i think like this was to me the best form of marketing where it feels incredibly genuine and I think it also just really puts it into perspective the consistency of quality of AEW Dynamite. They were like showing highlights pretty much just from over the past year, but like there are a lot of amazing moments, you know, that this company provided on this show in this arena. Um, so, man, I would love like if like WWE has the department 
to be able to do shit like this every time if they wanted to. But um, they did for a while in like 2001 to 2003. Oh, yeah, dude, they were the going desire. nuts. They were can just. You, can they, they bring were... back the desire videos, please? Like, is there not no better time to do that than than right now? You know. Do, do you remember when they did the Kid Rock one, the uh, yep. the Lonely Road of Faith? Mm-hmm. It's just throwing out on a random episode of Raw to convince Vince McMahon not to bring in the NWO, and it was like <laughs> this epic, epic video that literally could have opened up WrestleMania 20 that they could have just saved for two years. It was that big. And it's like, ah, dude, we threw this together on Sunday. It was like, they were just like flexing every week with their, was that really the storyline reason? How they, that was the whole thing. He's like, I'm going to kill my creation by bringing in the NWO. And so our video department, uh, made this to try to convince Rick you. Flair's otherwise. in the ring. He's like, Vince, watch this. <laughs> Yeah, Ric Flair was on his Avid in 2002, and he just uh, put together this uh, this video. But, my God, that period, they were just pumping this stuff out. And yeah. it's, it's very memorable stuff. I will say, at the end of this video, and you're watching all of these highlights, number one, I'm thinking, yeah, a lot of big stuff. When you have a, a year and a half worth of Dynamite highlights, there's a lot to take from. The next is, if you're a new fan, you want to go back and watch any of this, you don't have that outlet right now, at least a legal way to go back and watch Dynamite. And that is something that I think they're, you want to get the right streaming deal because you're talking about big money for the right deal. But it is something that I hope happens at a point because I think for newer fans, these Dynamites will have some rewatch value to them. And if you're a new fan, my God, there's a lot of stuff that you can um, just go back to that this video was a commercial for. Well, they're certainly um, building that catalog up, you know, with all the dynamites, all the darks. Um, I imagine maybe eventually something like their Road 2s and BTE might find their way up there. But I think they're still in the building phase. And when it's time to announce something, whether it be with something that um, Warner owns or or, or their own platform, um, you know, maybe by that point it'll sound more attractive. Maybe they'll have a a search function where you can just drop down, do a drop down menu of like Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, and the whole feud comes up in a easy to digest playlist. That would be wonderful. We will see. That was Dynamite. I thought I thought a spectacular show. I really really liked tonight's show a, a whole lot. I did too. Uh, the crowd I thought was fantastic, and the wrestling was was fantastic. Stories were really good. Promos were good. Like a really good two hour wrestling show. So we go to the poll at forum.postwrestling.com. Two out of ten. <laughs> a 9.08. Oh, that geez. is very high. Well, I guess we scared all the trolls away from Saturday. <laughs> this was, in fact, a better episode than Raw on Monday, um, which was not a bad show, but this was the better show. Johnny writes in, this was going to be a solid episode until the Omega Dark Order promo and then the main event. A great send-off to the Dynamite Daily's Place era. Sammy versus MJF was phenomenal, an excellent display of AEW's brightest, two brightest future main eventers. MJF is amazing in his character work, but I always forget how fantastic he is in the ring. While I don't like the interference in the match, it made sense. Their first match shouldn't have a clean finish and should build up anticipation for the rematch, but the moment I love so much is the Dark Order promo. The build to Hangman Omega is so well-earned, and Hangman's character is so relatable. Dark Order telling Hangman he's afraid of failure, and that look of doubt on Paige's face is too perfect do you think hangman wins their first encounter or do you build to a bigger rematch 
it's very hard to say two months out because you have to see like how well this story goes. But if you're asking me today, I think Hangman should win that match. I think Hangman wins at all out. You know, whether or not they will touch and have a match prior to that on like a TV special. Um, I don't think they should personally, but if they were to do that, I could see them doing some sort of finish that, you know, screws Hangman out of it so that you want to see him win at all out. But I think if it's at all out, he should end all out as champion. We got a Mark who says, awesome opener and phenomenal main event. I love that AEW leans into music videos to really drive home sentimental moments. How they really, how often have they done the music video stuff? I guess they did it with the, was it like the Bucks? Oh, wait, Paige and Omega. They did the Cinderella one. Yeah. I mean, different circumstances, but for Brody Lee, they did that tribute. And right. I, I know there was another one in there too um, that mm-hmm. I'm not remembering. They, they've gone to these several times. They really celebrate their history, as short as it's been. It reminds me of what you guys talked about on this week's Rewind Away in regards to the Sean Jericho feud. Jericho talked it up so much that it really stayed in people's minds 13 years later, when it could have easily been overlooked due to passage of time. Kind of similar to what AEW is doing here. In 18 months, AEW has built up so many memorable moments and performances in Daly's Place, and and have on more than one occasion celebrated them. I'm not sure my point. But I guess I don't see a celebration of Thunderdome moments happening in the coming weeks. Are you kidding me? Come on. There's some good ones there. Uh, you know, People Shana. being burnt on fire. Um, yep. Shayna stepping on the doll. I'm sure the Viking Raiders and Street Profits did some something fun inside. Um, well, they got a few 7. weeks. So maybe maybe we will get the WWE counter. Before they exit. Zombies. Thank you, Kevin. Yes, the zombies. Let's go to Tom. A great show with consistent story progression in the Hangman Kenny title contention. The only low light is the women's tag that could have been much better. With Nyla's tag partner being anybody but Vicky. I hope Rebel is okay after what looked to be a leg injury. Uh, I didn't notice that. Uh, Hopefully not hurt. Pillman and Miro could have been just a tad more competitive to give Pillman some more momentum, but that's a minor dig. Main event delivered, and then some, and the fans left happy with a nice video tribute to the pandemic era, despite the pandemic still advancing with a new variant. Okay, well, that's, uh, I guess that's one way to, to look at things. Uh, I miss Jim Ross saying WWE Dynamite, but at this point, I don't care. I got my dopamine and cannot wait for next week. We got a Dan away who says, Mac in Toronto here. I had a blast watching Dynamite, and it's the first proper episode I've watched since the big AEW NBA schedule accommodation shakeup. Probably not a good sign for my future Rampage viewership. This week's episode was tremendous, but I could do without Vicky Guerrero for the next decade or so. I wish her well, and I imagine a big chunk of the audience is like me, where there's goodwill towards Vicky. But God help me. She hasn't done anything I've liked or thought was good in years, if ever. Release Nyla Rose and Andrade from your clutches as soon as possible, Vicky. All right, we go to Kate. First things first, John, you were right, and I was wrong about the women's match. It was all about having Britt get the lockjaw on Vicky so we could watch her scream, and there was no bait and switch. Of course, since they lost, they presum- that presumably derails Nyla's plans to challenge Britt in a couple of weeks. Or does the top-ranked person get the shot regardless of how badly they screw up? I mean, they were still pushing that title match for uh, the she, 21st. She powerbombed him through a table after, off the apron, so I think that that's still the match. 
And speaking of number one contenders, I'm really happy that the Hangman Kenny storyline has officially started. I'm ready for this to carry through the summer. The main event was spectacular, although I found myself seriously wishing I could see a crash pad in that one crazy spot from Sammy. In fact, all the men's matches were really good tonight. As much of a dominant force as Miro is, Brian Pillman still felt like a bigger deal in the end. The video at the end was an unexpected and, and had an affecting touch. 8.5 terrible mustaches out of 10. And finally, we got a Jomo who says, the good. Whatever sticky, ironic 90s NWO nonsense the Bucks are pulling is totally working. These guys are tasked with being bigger and bigger deuces every week and always pull it off. More importantly, though, there's never a match from the Young Bucks where I fail to gasp or say wow. In fact, I don't think I can recall a match of theirs that hasn't gotten over in the past, what, eight years? Otherwise, Hollywood Kenny Omega sounded really good here. Maybe one of the best times I've heard him on the mic in AEW. He sounded confident, and I really like how Alex Reynolds basically talked to the audience in the segment after when he told Hangman, you've waited long enough, it's your time. It's a subtle announcement that for the summer, until All Out, Hangman is almost the protagonist of the show. The bad. Christian and Matt Hardy going for a feud. Vicky Guerrero in the ring. WWE Dynamite from the guy who is too lazy to even pretend he, that he cares much of the time. Maybe I'm in the minority, but I was really hoping AEW would be featuring people like Joey Janela or Sonny Kiss instead of WWE retreads who have had their time on TV. And Scorpio Sky's recent turn as Ethan Page's silent friend doesn't really help counter the argument, argument that this is the whitest main event scene in all of wrestling. I, I think it's unfair to say that JR because he said that line, is too lazy to even pretend he cares that much. I can't say that I got any indication from what is, I think, quite honestly, just a mistake. It's a um, slip-up that you're, you're going to have. And and they happen to a lot of announcers that you know, you're know you not going to always uh, take note of. I mean, people can have their opinions of like whatever announcers they want, but I think when, when you're going to the suggestion that the person doesn't care, uh, that's where... I think your argument falls apart. Like you can critique the the performance, but not the the work that goes into it as well. Yeah, yeah, or the emotion of not caring. One thing um, that was tweeted to me, and I certainly did not put this together, and maybe I should have. So I'm glad that you know someone did note this. Um, the fact that um, over the past week there was that awful tragedy in Florida where that. Um, that condominium unit fell and there have been, you know, several confirmed deaths and so many more people that are missing um, in the rubble. Um, the idea of doing a coffin match in Miami would have been in very bad taste. And I don't know if that's the reason, but that would make a lot of sense that they are not going to do a coffin match in Miami, given, given the world focus on that awful tragedy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That would make all the sense in the world. Uh, also, Rebel was carried to the back by officials afterwards, you oh. know, while the promo uh, for Hager and uh, Proud and Powerful played. So maybe there's something to that as well. All right. Well, everybody, uh, I want to thank uh, all of those that joined us live tonight, uh, returning to our normal night. I want to thank uh, all the Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso patrons that did so. Uh, we are live Monday and Wednesdays after Raw and after Dynamite. And then Friday for all patrons, uh, where we will be live 1015 Eastern right after SmackDown. And looking forward to taking everyone's calls this Friday. Yeah, it'll be nice to... Focus on one show, but I mean, we'll be taking calls about every single thing. So 
Hope you guys join us on Friday. And for Loki fans, hope you guys join me, WH, and Rich Fan Thursday night slash Friday morning for MCU Later. All right. And that will wrap up Rewind to Dynamite. And a happy birthday to Terry Funk, who turns 77 today. So there you go. A happy birthday to him. That is it. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to Rewind to Dynamite.